Welcome to the North Shore Fellowship Podcast, a place to explore the intersection of God's story with our lives. My name is Chris, and I'm sitting here with Jason and Heather, and we're continuing our discussion through Ephesians. Jason, uh, help us remember where we are. We're in chapter five. We're in the section of Ephesians where Paul deals with Christian living. And it's the the last three chapters of the book after he builds up this portrait of what God has accomplished and saving us in the first three chapters, and then really starts to integrate that into our lives and and the the last three. So last time we saw uh, that there's diversity of gifts, and then this is based on the unity of the faith, uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit has been given uh, to the church, but there's all kinds of different ways that that works itself out. And so continuing on at the the last part of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five, Paul talks about one vision for everyone who's a Christian or a saint. And he presents Jesus as uh, someone to imitate, um, imitating the character of God and showing us forgiveness. Everybody has to take on this uh, responsibility or this this perspective for their life. That we're imitators of God as beloved children. We're supposed to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the very beginning of chapter five. So this is something that every Christian is supposed to do. There's a unity of our general mission uh, and the way that we walk and the way that we live. Uh, Paul spells out some examples of this, uh, particularly addressing sexual immorality and idolatry covetousness and things like this we're not supposed to engage in. And then he takes a little bit of a turn, so we'll talk about that in the last half of chapter 5 and beginning of chapter 6. Yeah, for people not as familiar with what's in chapters 5 and 6, he he starts applying this idea that we're this is the way you live the Christian life. He's applied it in some ways, and now if you're asking, well, what about me if I'm a... And he applies it to wives and husbands, to children and parents, and to, in the ESV, bond servants and masters. So he's going to give us some application for different stages, positions, callings in life, whatever you want to call it. And it's really gracious that he addresses all these different callings in life. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that when Paul wrote this, that would have included everyone. It would... Everybody was either a wife or a husband or a slave or a master or a child because we didn't get to have people that got to go live in New York and try something new, you know, young single people or whatever. Everybody had to fit kind of into that household to survive, right? Right. And you might be more than one of these. It's also really different from the way that. Um, parallel letters in the Greco-Roman world would have worked where a master would have just been in charge of making sure his slaves obeyed and a husband would have just been in charge of making sure that the wife did what she was supposed to do. And uh, parents even would have been had the sole responsibility for making sure that their chil- children were disciplined and, and structured and, and things like this. But it's very interesting and very unique, I think, in the ancient world that Paul addresses people directly and gives them the dignity of, of hearing instruction and, and guidance for, uh, for their station in life and their calling. It's very countercultural, isn't it? For their first century context, it's extremely countercultural. 
So part of the beauty in Paul addressing each person is that he's involving each person in the same activity, even though they have different roles. Jason, a minute ago, you were talking about the the unity of being called by one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and the diversity that we have within that. Some are called to be apostles, some to be teachers, some to be evangelists. So we don't all have the same gifting and calling, but we do all have the same ultimate mission. So here, there is something that unites us together, and it's verse 21, which tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then following that, same idea, there's unity in that we're all called to submit to one another. And then diversity, it's going to look different uh, for different people. Yeah, I could spend a lot of time thinking about just verse 21, um, submit to one another um, in the fear of the Messiah would be another way of like rendering that. Right. So Jesus is in charge of the whole household. He's the one who's the head that we're all growing up into and being formed as part of his body. Um, so because of that, then we have to submit to one another. If I get corrected by um, anyone in, in my congregation and it's a legitimate concern and I have to listen to that. Right. Like I can't just use my position uh, to rule out, you know, submitting to someone else's uh, word. Uh, if it's uh, correct and wise. Um, in context, Paul's telling us to walk in wisdom, not in not in foolishness. And so if someone's bringing me something like that, no matter how important I think I am, I'm obligated to listen to these things and submit to others. I have a note from when we studied this as a staff together this summer that says, we're submitting out of reverence for Christ, not just doing it for the other person, but keeping our hearts orbiting around him. I love that picture. And Heather, earlier we were talking about the fact that if you, depending on what Bible translation you're looking at, verse 21 gets placed differently. So if you don't have your Bible in front of you, that's the verse that tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And But it shows up differently in some other translations. Yes, because in our translations we have headings, and the headings are not original. So in some translations, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it has a, a heading that says wives and husbands. And then it starts, wives, submit to your husbands. And that kind of cuts off the idea of what you said, Jason, that we're all submitting to each other out of Christ. It can make it look like now this is going to be a completely separate thing when it's really not. It's all tied together. So my one of my pet peeves is with with Western ways of looking at outlines and things like this or paragraphs is uh, we we tend to like to chop things up into discrete bits. Uh, that's how you make an outline when you're taught to write in elementary school, for example. You're taught to make an essay. This is unique, and then this next paragraph is unique, and then this next paragraph is unique. And and Hebrew and Greek don't always work that way. A lot of times there's very good flow from one paragraph to another, and there's overlap. Um, there's actual uh, technical rhetorical devices that create overlap between two different paragraphs or streams of thought. And I think that's what you see here. So um, I do think uh, 521 could could be placed uh, faithfully at the end of that pre- preceding paragraph. Um, but even if you do that, you need to recognize that it's, it's leading you into what follows, right? Um, and that's why you see Paul... Uh, providing constraints on the the stronger pair uh, for each of these three categories, uh, marriage, parenting, and employment. You know, it's not that the person in charge gets to do whatever they want, which is again generally the rule in the Greco-Roman world. Um, uh, there's a different orbit, so we'll go back to that image, Heather. The you're, you're orbiting around Jesus, not around uh, the father or the employer. 
uh, for example. I, I love that image because some of us have been in families uh, or workplaces uh, or marriages where one person uh, has such a dominant force of gravity. Uh, and, and it's not wrong for different people to have different gravitational forces. I don't think Paul's saying that. Um, but that, that the gravitational force has been so strong uh, that it's, it's as if the moon is only revolving around the earth and not also revolving around the sun and pulling its light from the sun. Uh, and so for Paul to, to put it in, in these terms, I think should be very helpful for us to put everything under the rubric of submitting to Jesus. So as we think of it in those terms, it's really a beautiful thing. And yet I also can't help but think of how it's been abused, um, especially as a woman and thinking of women, um, even in the church, that have been harmed by the idea that you're supposed to submit. You touch on that? Yeah, it's created a lot of controversy for how uh, passages like this get interpreted or misused. And in, in some cases, uh, thrown out altogether. Um, we're on the other side of many people in our society completely flushing roles and distinctions away uh, because of uh, bad teaching or um, just cultural currents. Uh, and so, you know, we want to be careful not to do that. We want to be careful to, to continue to recognize that there is male and female, that there are parents and children, and that those are distinct roles. Uh, that employers and employees have different roles and, and perspectives that are naturally going to come to bear, and that that's part of uh, God's design for the world. Um, even in a broken world, this can be done in uh, in, in ways that lead to mutual flourishing. Uh, so as we as we think about our vocations and our callings, we really want to be aware of ways that this can be misused, uh, and um, we want to steer away from that for sure. At the same time, <clears throat> We want to recognize that Paul's continuing to use the structures of society. He doesn't think that they're wrong or inappropriate uh, to address. And even though the way that he's addressing these is really revolutionary for his context, he's not just completely overthrowing everything that's kind of developed here. Um, you will eventually see uh, the, the insistence on uh, the rights and the, the care for people who are under your employ will eventually lead Christians to say slavery should be outlawed. We should move away from a system of slavery, um, which when, when, when Paul's addressing masters and slaves, that's not, we tend to think of 19th century American slavery, and that's not what's going on, uh, although there, there are some points of connection. Um, but yeah, earlier you said, some, you said uh, in marriage, in parenting, and in the workplace. So is that a fair analogy for what Paul is doing? Yeah, it's not a perfect analogy, just like 19th century slavery is not a perfect analogy for the um, master-servant relationship Paul's talking about. Uh, there is no perfect analogy because we don't live in that kind of world anymore where people would become an, um, uh, an indentured servant because they, they owe debt. And so they right. have to work for one particular person who has the claim on their employment. Um, doesn't quite work that way anymore, but... So to be clear, what you're saying is that although this was very countercultural, Paul wasn't saying, now there's no authority and you're going to look so radically different. They were going to be radically different and yet within the structures that were there. Yeah, I think that's very important. It's similar to what you see in a, a passage like Romans 13, where he's talking about government. Um, he treats the Christians as their own 
civilization or as it were, or, you know, you have your own citizenship in the kingdom of heaven that's different from all the other nations, but he doesn't want you thinking of yourself as completely removed from the structures of society. So you owe obedience and honor uh, to those that God has put over you, even if that's uh, a very wicked king like Nero, um, for example. That's a good reminder that, um, that in Romans 13 or here in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul isn't giving you everything you need to know, like a systematic theology textbook in one particular passage. He's simply telling you, here's how this theme of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is going to work itself out in different contexts. And each role, each calling brings with it uh, particular responsibilities that we're called to steward. And here's how we're all part of the body of Christ, every single one of us, not just the master, not just the husband, but we all get to participate. Yeah. And he even uh, includes children in this. This uh, Ephesians 6 is one of those passages we never think about when we talk about uh, our theology of the covenant or um, the role that uh, children play in the community of, of, of God. But um, there's no point at, at, in time at which the word of God is not addressed to our children. And so when Paul is taking the commandment and telling children, obey your parents and the Lord, um, this, and he, and he reminds them that it comes with a promise, which is a reminder that the promises are always extended to our children um, and should be, um, should be communicated in that way. Yeah, I love that he's assuming that the children would be hearing this letter and it's addressed to them. It's not just children should obey their parents, but children obey your parents. So he's assuming that they're going to hear this, that they're going to be part of that community that's receiving the word and that it applies to them. And the specific instruction given to them is that they're supposed to obey their parents and honor their father and mother with this great promise that it would go well with them and they'd live long in the land, which is really wonderful and gracious, and um, but it's it's paired with instructions to the Father. It is. Yeah, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a very huge responsibility to raise your children in the right way and not to provoke them to, to wrath. <laughs> Fathers <laughs> never do that. Um, nor mothers, because uh, mothers are included here in this language. Um, I, I think this is um, this is really, really challenging. Any parent would tell you that. Can you elaborate on that? How are mothers included in this language? If you're looking at the ESV, uh, it'll only say fathers, but that word is plural masculine. And in a great many languages like Spanish, uh, for example, the, the, pl- the plural masculine will account for men and women. So I think a more accurate translation there would be uh, fathers and mothers um, or parents, uh, just as we had back in verses one and two. So the pattern here that children are supposed to obey, but he matches it with some kind of boundary and instruction on the fathers, the parents, is that same pattern is matched in husbands and wives and bond servants and masters. I find it interesting that in that pattern, he addresses the weaker or the person who would normally be submitting to the other person first. So this is at least countercultural in the sense that he, as you just said, Heather, it addresses uh, wives, children, and bond servants first, or even at all. And then it's also countercultural that as he's addressing husbands, parents, and masters, 
that he's his main thrust in doing so is to put boundaries, limits on them, to to corral them into something that looks more like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's, I think, not what they would have expected in typical instruction in those days. Yeah, I almost feel like in each pair there's the obvious, right, that the weaker person uh, submits to the stronger, uh, and then the surprise on the on the the in the second half of it um, that Paul is springing. There's a third thing that I think is surprising, and that's that uh, for— um, wives and bond servants and children, uh, their yielding or submission or obedience is always put in the context of submission to the Lord. Um, you see that in 522, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, and then finally with bond servants, they're supposed to obey their earthly masters as they would the Messiah with a sincere heart. In all three of these instances, it's not simply that you're being led by someone else. It's that you're being led by Jesus Messiah and that because you follow him, you're in a particular calling that he's called you to that, that brings certain requirements. So again, it's that our hearts are orbiting around Jesus. Yeah, and again, going back to the beginning of chapter 5 and this this section of ethical instruction, um, that we forgive one another, we walk as dearly loved children, uh, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the model. That's always what we're aiming toward. So you just showed how wives, children, and bond servants do this in submission to Christ. And he's also pretty explicit that Husbands, parents, and masters do this in submission to Christ, uh, working backwards with masters. We do this because we all have the same master. So we, we don't mistreat people that maybe we could in a workplace or other situation because we have the same master. And we bring our children up in the discipline and instruction, not our own discipline, discipline and instruction, but we do it in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He's still the master, so we're still submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ by bringing them up in his discipline and instruction. And then the one for husbands is the most uh, full and obvious that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So there's a, a definite guidance boundary there where we're submitting to loving our wives as Christ loved the church. And so we're doing it in submission to Christ. I think it's sometimes helpful to translate that word submit as yield, um, because if, if I yield to oncoming traffic, I'm the one who's actually taking the action. And that's really what Paul is doing um, for wives. He's not saying to the husband, make sure your wife obeys you, which is the way that this conversation, again, normally worked in the Greco-Roman world. He's actually doing something dignifying and saying, you you actually have the option of like yielding and like giving way here in, in the situation or in a particular relationship. The other thing that's really notable about this whole section between wives and husbands is how much, how much longer the husband section is uh, and how richly Paul goes into the explanation about uh, how Christ loved the church and how marriage is supposed to be a beautiful portrait of Christ's love for the church. And all of that is about how the husband treats his wife and cares for his wife, uh, sees her, uh, sees her needs, meets them, um, and um, uh, then closes in verse 33. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And that's the the 
the standard that we have for all Christian ethics, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But um, it's interesting to me that that starts at home. You know, sometimes we think of that being something that, you know, applies to the way that we treat our, our, our neighbors or immigrants coming into our community, people that we work with. But it has to start at home if that's not true in your old household, that you're loving the person uh, as though they're your own body. Um, then we've fallen short with the task that we have in front of us. And these homes were household churches back then. And so in that, these household churches really did change the world. They did really change the world. They really upended so many things. Um, I do think I think it's worth noting, Paul, I don't think requires that people be Christian in order to kind of have these frameworks, because there were many mixed marriages. There were many marriages where a, a husband or a wife comes to, to faith uh, and their spouse hasn't, for example, um, or uh, an employer, master, um, a servant comes to faith and not everybody else in that household has. So you also have to work this out in mixed households. That's a very common theme in the early Christianity, um, as it is today. Uh, but um, but yeah, the those little units, those little uh, little outposts of the kingdom of heaven had a pretty radical impact on the way that the world worked. And yielding and rendering obedience in societal structures was a really important part of that. Well, that does it for this episode. Thank you, Jason and Heather, uh, for wading into this complex passage that needs to be worked out with wisdom. I know a lot of us probably have a lot of questions about what that looks like to do as a believer, an unbeliever, as a child, as a parent. And so my prayer for everyone is that you would look for ways to submit to one another, to yield to one another in a culture full of the obsession for power. I pray that you would look for opportunities to serve one another and look for ways to uh, establish power structures that actually advantage those who need it the most. Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we discuss the armor of God.